Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is February 7th, Thursday, 2013. Today we are reading from the big book. We are in Chapter 8, To the Wives, on page 119, the first full paragraph that begins, Still Another Difficulty. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, February 6th, is 3846. That's 3846. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members we are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain to recover from compulsive overeating and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I would now like to ask Edini to please read the 12 steps. Thank you so much, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we try to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you and I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Avini. 
I'd now like to ask Margaret H. to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Margaret, recovering compulsive overeater from Illinois. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thanks so much, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, Everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in Chapter 8 to Wives, and we are on page 119, beginning with the first full paragraph on that page, still another difficulty. And this morning I'd like to ask Robin to start for us. Hi, this is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Still, another difficulty is that you may become jealous of the attention he bestows on other people, especially alcoholics. You have been starving for his companionship, yet he spends long hours helping other men and their families. You feel he should now be yours. The fact is that he should work with other people to maintain his own sobriety. Sometimes he will be so interested that he becomes really neglectful. Your house is filled with strangers 
You may not like some of them. He gets stirred up about their troubles, but not at all about yours. It will do a little good if you point that out and urge more attention for yourself. We find it a real mistake to dampen his enthusiasm for alcoholic work. You should join in his efforts as much as you possibly can. We suggest that you direct some of your thought to the wives of of his new alcoholic friends. They need the counsel and love of a woman who has gone through what you have. Well, I'd like to start by saying that um, my husband was a recovered alcoholic, and this was very true for me. I was terrifically jealous of the amount of time that he spent on other people when after all those years of neglect he should have been um, worshiping the ground I walked on. He should have been doing the dishes and bringing me out for dinner and you know, taking care of me because he'd been such a selfish, you know, whatever for so many years. Um, and and that was me, not recovered, of course. And now that I'm in recovery, I see this very differently. Um, when I came into, when I became abstinent and I picked up this big book, um, it, it, at first when I became abstinent, and one of the reasons I was afraid to become abstinent was because I couldn't imagine what could fill my time the way food had filled my time. I had the idea that um, I was going to become so terribly bored and what on earth would I ever do with all that time that I had spent um, binging and um, grazing, um, sitting in front of the TV with my favorite foods, going out to eat with my friends. Am I going to become this terribly boring person? And what I found out when I came in right away was I was told to be of service, that um, being of service would save my butt when nothing else did. And... um, The fact is that he should work with other people to maintain his own sobriety. This is exactly what we do to fill that time. All that time that we spent on eating is now filled with the action that we take in this program um, to fill our lives, not only doing the step work, but also being of service to other people, talking to other people on the phone, um, being there when other people have problems, establishing a network, um, socializing with our new friends, going to meetings. Um, these are the things that keep me, in the beginning, distracted from any thoughts I might have about food. But as time goes by, they become the very thing that that builds a solid foundation underneath me. So, um, you know, as far as we're concerned, as recovering compulsive overeaters, it is really, really important to be working with others. Um, And the other thing I see at the bottom of this paragraph is we suggest that you direct some of your thought to the wives of his new alcoholic friends. They need the counsel and love of a woman who has gone through what you have. When I'm I'm feeling neglected um, or unhappy because of something that my husband or anybody else has done in my life, to turn to service, to be of service to somebody else who is struggling always, always, uh, puts a smile back on my face and saves the day and fills me with gratitude. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Laura. Um, I'd like to talk. Go ahead, Laura. Oh, thank you. Uh, this is Laura, compulsive overeater from Michigan. And oh my goodness. When I first read about this, about the attention, 
that I had wanted for my husband. And um, I think about when I first met him and my disease of compulsive eating kind of went on the back burner because I had this new love and we were in love and then we got married and everything was great. And so my eating really, really went behind. But then when the honeymoon was over, and I just picked up the weight and I picked it up and I really at that time knew I was in trouble as a compulsive eater and went off to treatment and came back and I was starting to lose the weight. And when I started losing the weight, I wanted his attention. And I, when he didn't give me the attention that I needed, I was asking him since even before I got married, to fill this hole within me. And um, when he couldn't give me the attention that I needed, which there's no way he could have ever given me all the attention that I needed, um, I started to want to get promiscuous about it. And I knew I couldn't do that. I didn't want to do that with my husband, so I went back to the eating. It felt safer to eat than to go back out there. And it wasn't until I really decided to work this program and put that first weighed and measured meal on a table with my statement for myself that I love myself and turn to my higher power as a higher power instead of my husband as my higher power asking him to take care of my needs, really working these steps and finding myself through it and through all of them, finding the love for myself that I no longer had to need and depend so much on my husband to fill those needs. That um, I was able to finally, it just works. The program just really started to work for me through the steps. And I'm just grateful that I can appreciate and love my husband today without that, that needing attention and the jealousy that I used to have before um, and not having to go back to the food because I wasn't getting it. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Laura. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Good morning. It's Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Hey, Janice. Good morning. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. The fact is, that he should work with other people to maintain his own sobriety. Why does the big book instruct me to do that? Well, because if I neglect those who are still suffering, then there is danger to my own life and my own sanity. So it's under those, uh, you know, under the heat of self-preservation and an obligation. And, of course, it's sheer pleasure, but it is a duty (laughs) to to pass it on you know that's the that's our high mission right that's our that's the whole purpose of a meeting and certainly that's uh part of the 12th step is to carry that message so it goes on to say sometimes he will be so interested that he becomes really neglectful well (laughs) that's true that does come with the territory, and I think uh, it is, um, you know, all about learning how to navigate that. How do you give a spouse enough attention and uh, do the things you need to do in order to save your own life? 
And, uh, you know, just like any skill, whether it's computer skills, tennis skills, or the skill of sponsorship and working with people, it improves over time, hopefully, where you learn how to give the people around you enough quality attention uh, so that uh, they're still, uh, you know, they're feeling loved and, and cared for and thought about, and, and yet you still have this uh, opportunity to carry the message. Because God's gift to me is my recovery. But what I do in this fellowship with this gift is my gift to God. So I've got to carve out time for that. Um, I've got to carve out time for a husband. I've got to carve out time for 12 children. I've got to carve out time for my responsibilities under this roof and to my community around me. But number one is i got to make time for, uh, you know, recovery. All that other stuff, you know, all that other stuff I mentioned revolves around my recovery. My recovery has to be number one. If it is not number one, I cannot be available for all those other people that perhaps want some of my attention. I can't be the best wife I could be. I wouldn't be the best mother to my children unless recovery was number one and working with other people was up, you know, number one. It says we find it a real mistake to dampen his enthusiasm for alcoholic work. I mean, once we have this magnificent reality, this spiritual awakening, this joy of sharing with somebody else, this is so contagious, you know, and this is how AA was born. So, you know, by giving and by sharing and by passing on, this message, we are sustained to one degree or another by a new person because we have the opportunity to watch the miracles of another person. And those miracles are so strong in these new people that we work with that we get to relive the miracles. And it's such a powerful experience. That's what it's talking about. We find it a real mistake to dampen his enthusiasm. Yes, we have enthusiasm. Yes, I get wound up because I love this program. Yes, I get charged up. But I'm not excited about talking. I'm not excited about me. We get excited about us. We get excited about what God can do when we cooperate with his grace. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Christy. Go ahead, Christy. And then who is after Christy? Irini. Okay. First Christy, then Irini. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, A Vision for You. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, this paragraph um, reminds me of when I was first in recovery and um, what I needed from all of you in recovery was to learn how to be uh, a recovered person. I needed to learn how to be, a, a, you know, a worker among workers, another bozo on the bus, you know, whatever you want to call it. I needed to learn how to interact with people. I needed to learn how to sometimes be uncomfortable when people said things to me and just write it out, you know, instead of immediately telling everyone that they made me feel uncomfortable. I needed to learn how to be a healthy adult. I didn't know how to be a healthy adult. You know, you'd think I would know that, you know, at the age of 41. We lost you, Christy. Press star one. 
needed to, um, you know, I needed to practice on people who were also recovering and doing the same thing that I was doing. That's what I needed. And, you know, that's what I did. I practiced on all of you how to say those difficult conversations. I learned how to have phone calls and be respectful of people's time by making phone calls to people and having people teach me that. I learned all of that from you. And, you know, I, you know it is you know, a little disheartening to those who've been hanging around with us in our homes, you know, such as my experience was, who's, who have thrown everything they can or stepped completely out of the way um, to help us get recovered. And then here's this group of strangers that, you know, my partner had never met before, and they're able to have conversations with me that the two of us had not been able to have for 11 years. So, you know, that's just the way it played out. That's the way it had to happen for me. I had to learn from all of you. I had to have that, you know, that sandbox to play in with all of you to learn how to play in the sandbox with other people. And, um, you know, it saved my life. It's taught me to be a better person. It's taught me to be a better partner. It's taught me to be a better worker. It's taught me to be a better daughter, a sister, um, a step-parent. It's taught me how to be a friend. It has taught me everything I know today. I learned from all of you in the rooms. And it, you know, it took a while, but it happened. And I'm so grateful for that. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Christy. Irini. Thank you, Janice. Um, my name is Irini, very gratefully recovered compulsive overeater. Recovered, yes. It, it, it's first, it comes first because recovery to me means God because that's what he gave me. He did for me what I could never do for myself. So I, I must, I want to put God first before um, my before my family. So recovery comes first because recovery is I found a new freedom, you know. And I also I have this obligation now, and it's such a pleasure to give it away. And this is how I pay it forward. I pay it back to God by helping others. And this is how I maintain my my abstinence, my recovery, um, by living in the steps 10 through 12, it's a whole new different lifestyle, and it's a beautiful life. It's my passion. My recovery is my passion. And um, I've learned to, and I'm still learning to balance my life and with my family, my friends, my community, um, by trying to implement these steps and to become a better eating today than I was yesterday, to show up in, in life as a loving and caring, selfless individual. And this is a process and not, you know, it's not perfection. I'm constantly having to work at it. And um, to show, you know, um, spiritual principles in all my affairs, um, to just to carry God's vision with me throughout the day. And so I need to, um, so I can touch my family and touch others. And, um, and this is how others do change. And this becomes a domino effect of God's work. And, um, and it no longer becomes about what I can get out of life. It's what I can give 
to life, and that all comes from God. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Adini. Well, this is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Hi, this is Nancy, compulsive overeater from New York. Go ahead, Nancy. Hi, how's everybody? I am not married. I was married. I'm divorced, and it's funny. I have the, you know, I was in the program of AA and OA while I was married, and it was very different going into the rooms of AA and dealing with people. No one really bothered me. They could see I was married. And then when I'm going back in, when I'm not married, oh, my God, it's like the bars without the alcohol, you know? And then you talk about the husbands and the wives. I feel bad for the wives because there's a lot of, for lack of better word, some, you know, sick women that come into the room and um, makes the rest of us look bad, you know? Because if a man is married, he's off limits. And I don't like this gray area. And I guess I just had to say that because I feel bad for the women that they got to put up enough, first of all, with the men drinking, and then they go into the rooms and then they have these other little, you know, sick people that could even prove more challenged in marriage. So God is all loving, but, you know, there's black and white, you know. There's your wife, there's your husband, there's a man, there's a woman, there's a whore, and there's a decent person, and God... Forgive me for calling somebody this, but i got to call a spade a spade. And, um, you know, because I've been, you know, pulled into certain things, too. It's like, hey, you know, if we're going to be sober, you know, this is the thing. It's, it's right living. It's right thinking. And we, we really have to be strong. We lost you, Nancy. Well, this is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, there are two sentences in this paragraph really stood out to me this morning. The first one is the fact, the fact is that he should work with other people to maintain his own sobriety. Now, you know, how important is that? Because it's a fact. You know, AA was based on this idea of service, of carrying the message that those first recovered alcoholics knew that they could not maintain their own spiritual condition without carrying this message, that they could not maintain their own spiritual I wasn't finished talking. Was I unmuted? I wasn't finished talking. No, we lost you, Nancy. We lost you. Okay, well, I'll just wrap it up. Okay, well, I'll just wrap this up by just saying that I've been in these rooms for many years, and... I really just think that, you know, we really have to pray for people. What I wanted to finish saying is it really is tough for the wives. It's tough for all of us because we do live in a sick society. And I'm just praying each day to just be a good person and to be patient and tolerant for all the other people that are out there. And I will continue to pray for people to be healthy. That's all I have to say. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. So the fact is that he should work with other people to maintain his own sobriety. You know, and that was a fact. That was a fact that they had learned, that this program, this beautiful spiritual life, could not be maintained without carrying the message. And the wives could see that. You know, the wives are sharing with us what worked for their husbands as well, what they saw, what they saw and what they grew to know. So the maintenance of the spiritual condition has to be in carrying this message. So that was a fact. And then the last sentence, 
they need the counsel and love of a woman who has gone through what you have. You know, and I was reminded last in Dr. Bob's story where he talks about of far more importance was the fact that he was the first living human with whom I had ever talked who knew what he was talking about in regard to alcoholism from actual experience. That's on page 180 in Dr. Bob's story. And that's true for these wives of the alcoholics as well. You know, in sharing your story, the wives are telling us, with another woman who suffers from the same thing that you suffered from. You know, nothing helps like someone who's had that actual experience. That they could say, I've been where you're at and this is what has helped me. To join with my husband, to join with my partner, to be open to this new way of life. To be open with what this new way of life gives, which is freedom. Freedom from all of this worry and and all of this need for attention. That there's going to be a way out of that. That together, when you work towards this common solution and you join in and practice these principles just as he does that you're going to get a life that is so much more than the life you had been living you know that you indeed can carry a message of hope and recovery as well and knowing that and sharing that these wives had a great deal of hope to offer to those coming in suffering from the very same thing they suffered from until they found there was a common solution as well. And maybe we'll move on to the next paragraph. And if Penny C., could you read that for us, please? Yes, good morning. This is Penny C., Recovered Compulsive Overeater from Massachusetts. It is probably true that you and your husband have been living too much alone, for drinking many times isolates the wife of an alcoholic. Therefore, you probably need fresh interests and a great cause to live for as much as your husband. If you cooperate rather than complain, you will find his excess enthusiasm will tone down. Both of you will awaken to a new sense of responsibility for others. You, as well as your husband, ought to think of what you can put into life instead of how much you can take out. Inevitably, your lives will be fuller for doing so. You will lose the old life to find one much better. Well, what I'm seeing here is this is uh, to the wives, and you know, up till now, uh, when they, if they, hopefully they they got to read this this chapter, that up till this point, their whole life's work, their their, their attention was on getting their hub, husband sober. And I know for myself, living with an alcoholic, that was true, that all my attention was on, you know, what he thought, wanting, to, wanting everybody to, to please him so that his anger wouldn't erupt. And, and everything, I had no interests of myself. Indeed, when I went to a meeting, uh, my first meeting to deal with my husband's, the effects that my husband's alcoholism had on me, um, I was asked what color I liked best, and I couldn't, I could not, could not come up with a color. And finally, somebody else said plaid, and I, for a long time, that's what I would say. My favorite color is plaid because I couldn't, couldn't think 
for myself, and this is how I was affected. You know, I see this from both sides, as the wife of and as the compulsive overeater who had an effect on on her spouse and her, her family. I'd just like to, to read a little bit from Lois's story, where the wife of the alcoholic Bill talks about what it was like for her. She says, um, after a while, I began to wonder why I was not as happy as I ought to be since the one thing I had been yearning for all my married life was Bill's sobriety, and it had come to pass. Then one Sunday, Bill asked me if I was ready to go to a meeting with him. To my own astonishment, as well as his, I burst forth with, damn you old meetings, and I threw a shoe as hard as I could. The surprising display of temper over nothing pulled me up short and made me to stop made me stop to analyze my own attitudes. My life's purpose of sobering up Bill, which had made me desperately needed, had vanished. I needed to strive for my own spiritual growth. I used the same principles as he did to learn how to change my attitudes. We began to learn that the partner of the alcoholic also needed to live by a spiritual program. And and that's I find that that's so true of myself that and 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 I pass that on to to the spouses of people I meet who who have this situation of of living with an alcoholic that you know we wives get get affected by other people's disease just like my spouse and, and family were affected by my compulsive overeating and Either way, it's a spiritual malady that requires a spiritual solution. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Let's keep the focus on what we're reading. Go ahead, Kim. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. It is probably true that you and your husband have been living too much alone for drinking many times isolates the wife of an alcoholic. So once again, we are reminded that this is not a disease that just affects the compulsive overeater. That illusion that we think, well, it's only I'm only hurting myself. You know, as we begin to isolate, as we begin to cancel going to different activities, and our families cancel along with us because they don't know how to make the excuses for us anymore. And I wanted to read from page 21 because I got a different perspective on this recently. It says, he uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. So it's talking about Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and how that disease pulls that family down. But unfortunately, someone gave me the perspective that, you know, with the, with the amount of relapse we have in OA, we're doing this to our families while we're in the rooms, not just before we come into the rooms. Because we get some abstinence and then we go back to the food. We get some abstinence, we go back to the food. We're not getting into the program, which is the steps. So we're giving our families this, this idea of hope. Oh my God, this time's going to be different. And then we pull it down on them and the family becomes more isolated and more isolated because they don't know what to expect from mom. They don't know what to expect from dad anymore. They don't know what to expect from their wife or their husband. So the family is becoming more isolated as we become less dependable. But I love the hope in the, at the end of it. It says, you as well as your husband ought to think of what you can put into life instead of how much you can take out. Inevitably, inevitably, your lives will be fuller for doing so. 
You will lose the old life and find one much better. And how does that come about? Does that come about because you're absent in a year? Maybe it happens when you're two years abstinent. Maybe when you're 10 years abstinent. It has nothing to do with abstinence. It has to do with the program of recovery, which is working these steps. These steps will give us the ability to deal with life. This, these steps will help us to cast aside those old ideas and get new ones so that when we walk into a room, we are not self-centered and selfish and self-pitying, but we are thinking, what can I bring to this situation? We're going to discover new interests. You know, I learned to skate. I learned to cowboy dance. I learned to do a lot of things. I traveled because like, I, I now had the physical ability to do it because I lost the weight, but I also had the mental ability because I was restored to sanity. You know, and I like that old, that old Army commercial where it says, you know, we've done more before 5 a.m. than most people did in the day. Well, I've got to tell you, with recovery, with recovery as, as inconvenient as it is, and I've got a spoiler alert, this is an inconvenient process, and it's inconvenient to be in recovery because we have to do a lot to maintain our lives. But I have more energy, more efficiency, and more ability to be present for my family, to be present for my work, to be present for my dogs, to be present for, for service to people in OA and service to people outside OA. So we will lose the old life, which was killing us, and we will find a much better one. And that is not only true for us, it is true for the family. When they, when they focus on these steps, the program of recovery, and how can I best serve God today? And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. All right, then we'll move on to the next paragraph. And Esther, would you please read that for us? Good morning. My name is Esther, and I'm a compulsive overeater in Canada. Perhaps your husband will make a fair start on the new basis, but just as things are going beautifully, he dismays you by coming home drunk. If you are satisfied, he really wants to get over drinking, you need not be alarmed. Though it is infinitely better that he have no relapse at all, as has been true with many of our men, it is by no means a bad thing in some cases. Your husband will see at once that he must redouble his spiritual activities activities if he expects to survive. You need not remind him of his spiritual deficiency. He will know of it. Cheer him up and ask him how you could still be more helpful. So this is an interesting paragraph because uh, to me, again, this chapter is written by the wives for the wives of, of the alcoholics. Why sh- I would I'd normally I'd ask myself, why shouldn't uh, you know the spouse of a compulsive overeater or a, or a drunk be uh, be concerned when they you know, start uh, drinking again. <clears throat> you think she'd be worried about, you know, going back to the, to the old way of life. But one thing we had learned in this chapter just a few pages earlier is that the wife, just like the alcoholic, is learning how to live on a spiritual basis, learning not to that she need not rely on, you know, the quality of her husband's recovery, if there is even any recovery, to provide her with a sense of security. So on that basis, she can watch his ups and downs, his relapses, if there are any, or even the husband who never recovers. And that doesn't need to um, destabilize her because she is no longer, again, relying on 
on him or on anything outside of her to provide her with a sense of security. So really, the lessons that we learn as compulsive overeaters in this big book is the same are the same ones, the same spiritual principles that need to be learned and lived by the wife of the um, you know, alcoholic or compulsive eater in order to live better. So just as we no longer look outside of us um, at, you know, our family situation, you know, the type of spouse we have, if, if we even have a spouse, our um, anything in our environment is not going to provide me anymore with that sense of, um, you know, all is well or serenity in this world. And so, too, the wives have to develop this, you know, spiritual basis of living and and that's why they can even write this paragraph and tell and tell the wife you don't need to worry you'll be okay this this happens we hope it doesn't happen but this can happen and this is what you can do about it just cheer him up and ask him how you could still be more helpful so again it's not about us it's about being helpful to others and with that I'll pass thank you Esther would anyone like to comment on this paragraph this is Lois go ahead Lois Hi, good morning, everyone. Um, yeah, I could jump in um, into uh, this this paragraph, but I could. I also am coming from several several different points of points of interest as as the wife, as as the alcoholic, as a family member, and and lately, you know, it it has. It, I've had a situation happen to me where I became so interested. First of all, I was interested in in trying to change family members. There was so much conflict going on. And that was one point of view where I learned that um, my focus was way too intense trying to change people that um, have to change themselves. And secondly, you know, I, I love to share this program with others, and, and I get, you know, I get very um, interested in, in Could you press star one to unmute, Lois? We lost you. Is that okay? Hello? Lois, go ahead. Are you there, Lois? Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Robin. Go ahead, Robin. Bad echo. <laughs> um, you need not remind him of his spiritual deficiency. He will know of it. Well, this, this whole chapter has been about how to live a life when somebody else is doing his own thing, either, um, either using or recovering. Um, it, this whole chapter teaches me how to take care of myself regardless of what somebody else is doing. And, you know, rather than being a doormat, which we all think we are when we're in our disease, um, what, what we're being taught in this chapter, in this book, is how to, um, how to depend on a higher power rather than, than another person. So what it allows me to do then is when somebody else messes up, either a sponsee or a spouse, um, to not take it personally, to see it as their problem, their issue. They may recover, they may not. It can't matter to me because I have to have my own relationship with my higher power 
that keeps me protected from um, from depending on anybody else in a way that makes them a higher power. So what I see here in this chapter or in this this paragraph um, is it's all about having a relationship with my higher power that allows me to let go of the other person, whether he relapses or not, and to not see it as the end of the world, to not see it as a bad thing at all, because it may be a good thing for for the other person, sponsee, uh, spouse, whoever it may be. Me sitting on the outside looking in can allow them to have their own path because I have my path with my higher power, which keeps me in a protected place. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Well, this is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, two things struck me in this paragraph. First, if you are satisfied he really wants to get over drinking, you need not be alarmed. So what they're saying here, I believe, is that you know, if the if the alcoholic is at step one and truly powerless, knows he is powerless and that his life has been unmanageable, then that relapse will not stop him. That relapse will not stop him. And if you see that, if you see that, then you can also see that your husband will see at once that he must redouble his spiritual activities if he wishes to survive, if he expects to survive, because that's what's happened. You know, we know we must have no reservations of any kind. And we, as compulsive overeaters, know that's true about ourselves. At least I know that's true about me. Because no reservations of any kind equals no relapse. You know, I have to know absolutely I'm at step one, powerless, powerless today. Of my own human power, I could not do it, and no one else's human power could do it. Only only God, only that spiritual power. So it's a good reminder to the wife, it says, cheer him up and ask how you can still be more helpful. Say, I see that you're struggling. I know you can do it. How can I be helpful? You know, what a wonderful thing to turn around the wife's fears, to turn around that place of discomfort and, and anxiety to be helpful. You know, and the big book teaches us that over and over and over again, that the bondage of self was always my problem. So to step out of that bondage of self into how can I best be useful and helpful to someone else is always what's going what's gonna to save the day. And with that, I'll pass. Katie, would you like to read the next two paragraphs for us? Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater. The slightest sign of fear or intolerance may lessen your husband's chance of recovery. In a weak moment, he may take your dislike of his high-stepping friends as one of those insanely trivial excuses to drink. We never, never try to arrange a man's life so as to shield him from temptation. The slightest disposition on your part to guide his appointments or his affairs so he will not be tempted will be noticed. Make him feel absolutely free to come and go as he likes. This is important. If he gets drunk, don't blame yourself. God has either removed your husband's liquor problem or he has not. If not, it had better be found out right away. Then you and your husband can get right down 
the fundamentals. If a repetition is to be prevented, place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. And, you know, this, um, this is to the wives. And these wives have spent years, you know, perhaps decades, managing their husband's life, trying to help them to cope um, even though they're alcoholic. I mean, we don't know if someone's been, you know, the gutter drunk or the drink daily drinker who just every single day woke up in a bad mood. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that are going on in these households. And so, you know, this is, this is giving the wife permission to stay out of the way, to stay out of the other person's recovery. Work on your own stuff. And I constantly have to do that in my life. I have to work on my recovery, work on my side of the street, and not worry about what everyone else is doing. Um, and that is very difficult for for um, codependent people. And that's what this is addressing is, you know, the person who's stuck with their husband despite their um, alcoholism and they have to relearn how to interact with that person. Um, and you do not want to be the one who causes them to stumble. So um, if he gets drunk, don't blame yourself. God has either removed your husband's liquor problem or he has not. And that's the you know beauty of this program is that there's, Never someone who is too far gone. You know, we don't just come in the rooms one time, and if we don't get it, then we give up. And, you know, when you come back, they say, well, you've already been here. You can't come back. And that is the whole premise of our program is that, you know, we don't pay dues and fees, and if you come back next time, you don't have to pay the initiation fee. Our initiation fee is, is the pain and misery that we've had since the last time we walked through the doors. Um, but all we have to do is, as the uh, supporting person or someone who's trying to recover, is stay out of their way and let God do the work. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on what was just read? This is Leah. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, you know, God has either removed your husband's liquor problem or he is not. Uh, willingness is a one-person job, you know. So uh, this wife, obviously, we're in the chapter to wives dealing with people who are involved with their loved ones, the alcoholics, um, compulsive overeaters. Uh, you know, God has either removed your husband's liquor problem or he's not, meaning the alcoholic has either submitted and um, and humbled himself before his creator, or he hasn't. Willingness is a one-person job. You know, these wives, they didn't cause their husband's alcoholism. They can't control their husband's alcoholism. They certainly can't cure their husband's alcoholism. And alcoholism is going to have to do its job, because that, that is the reality of our disease. If we do not deal with our disease, it will deal with us. And the truth remains that most alcoholics have to be badly mangled before they commence to solve their problems. That was certainly true for me. 
I mean, I came into these rooms in 82. My abstinence date is until January 19th, 1987, however, because I had to continue to get pummeled by this disease. When I was ready to recover and open up this book and implement the steps as if my life depended on it, I was eating with a sense of urgency and desperation I had never known before. I, was, I knew I was a compulsive overeater, but I did not understand the depths to which this disease would take me. I did not understand how hot hell would get. So the fact that they say, you know, it, it's great, you know, it's okay, don't worry about it. Uh, if he has a relapse, don't blame yourself. Don't blame yourself. Just put the problem along with everything else, dear wife, in God's hands. Because the way to become independent and free from situations, circumstances, life, is to become totally dependent on God. Because when we're totally dependent on God, then we have the independence to navigate through life without being jerked around by our emotions. How is that possible? Because we're governed by something of a higher level, and that is these principles. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Yes, go ahead. Um, I just wanted to say that this this is really good especially for where I'm at in my life. And I'm understanding that this is a practice thing for me because to not try to get in there and rescue, not try to help not or rescue, it's not even help anymore. It's not even help. It's rescue. It's so um, that he doesn't hit that, doesn't get hurt, doesn't have the pain. Um, and it's my son, it's not my husband, but it's the same disease. And it's so hard as a parent to not try to get in there, you know, Because, but I have to stick with this very bottom one right here. If if a repetition is to be prevented, um, place the problem along with everything else in God's hands. And that that everything else for me is my own fears, my own you know, imagination, my own stuff. And I have to do what, you know, this program is telling me is just to keep recover, recover, recover and and mind my business. And, you know, because I don't have his path. God has his path. God has his own plan for my son. You know, so this this for me is strengthening me. This chapter is just perfect for this point in my life and right where I'm at because this is helping me to strengthen me, you know, because I um, I look at myself, you know, kind of cockeyed and say, is this for real? I, I'm supposed to just let this happen? <laughs> you know, well, yeah, because, it, you know, I have tried to, you know, stop him from, from, you know, getting tempted, you know, keep him away from his friends and, and all this stuff. And, oh, yeah, he noticed it. And he flat out told me I was I was going to ship him up to Maine and to his grandmother's and stuff. He's like, excuse me, but uh, do you think I can't find anything up there? What do you think I am, an idiot? <laughs> you know? So I'm looking at this child saying, oh, my goodness, what in the world? You know, but, he, you know, he's he's almost legally of age. So, you know, really there's nothing I can do. I, I can't put him over my knee anymore. <laughs> Anyways, thanks for letting me share. Thank you. 
Well, this is Janice. I'm a compulsive overeater, and and I just wanted to say that this paragraph is reminding the wives, the husbands, all of us as compulsive overeaters that God is either everything or he is nothing. You know, and what is my choice? You know, the wife couldn't control it all. She couldn't, um, you know, take the problem and make it different, but she could place it in God's hands. And she's being reminded by other wives that they too had to place it in God's hands. And that in God's hands, everything could change. Everything could change. And we practice, practice, practice the fundamentals. Then you and your husband can get right down to fundamentals. You know, that God is either everything or he is nothing. You know, what a wonderful message. Well, let's take this last paragraph. Robin, would you please read this last paragraph for us? Sorry, I needed to unmute. Mm-hmm. Um, the slightest sign of fear or intolerance may lessen your husband's no, chance. No, the top of page 121. Oh, sorry. We realize that we have been giving you? Yes. Wait, no. Okay, we realize that we have been giving you much direction and advice. We may have seemed to lecture. If that is so, we are sorry, for we ourselves don't always care for people who lecture us. But what we have related is based upon experience, some of it painful. We had to learn these things the hard way. That is why we are anxious that you understand and that you avoid these unnecessary difficulties. So to you out there who may soon be with us, we say good luck and God bless you. Pass. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This is Suzanne. Go ahead, Suzanne. I like the part that um, where they bless us. And um, one of the things that I have to do to stay out of other people's business is to consistently go back and work my 10th step whenever I'm bothered. And when it is a family member that's going through something, I have to just be totally paying attention to myself. Thank you. Thank you very much. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Yeah, this is Sarah. Can I share? Go ahead, Sarah. I just um this is good morning. Good morning, Janice. Um this is Sarah. I just you know, I love this paragraph because um in everything that we've been reading, this paragraph just shows me that this book and everything in it is like a close friend sitting next to me on the couch just sharing their experience and helping me with compassion and with understanding. And we realize that we have been giving you much direction and advice. We may have seemed to lecture. If that is so, we are sorry, for we ourselves don't always care for people who lecture us, but we have um, related, is based on experience, some of it painful. You know, just the whole paragraph, I could just read the whole paragraph again, because I just feel like this paragraph and is just telling me that this isn't, you know, a how-to book on, you know, do this and your life will be better. This book is um, an expression of people's experience of recovery and, and a close friend's 
helping with loving arms, saying, this is what worked for us. Trust God, and he will take care of you. And just the love and compassion that screams out of it just makes this whole program so inviting and so real. And and, I, and I'm so grateful for it. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sarah. Would anyone else like to comment? We have time for one more comment on this paragraph. Eight o'clock. Hi, this is Ed. Go ahead, Ed. Uh, I only have uh, three days of abstinence, but it's three days, so uh, I am abstinent, and uh, I feel like I can talk. It's nice. Um, uh, I, I want to say something about, you know, the family who doesn't read this book. Uh, my my uh, ex-wife passed away, and so my adult children have only me for a parent. And when they look at my stomach, uh, they get angry. They feel very unloved. They feel like uh, they they think, well, you're you're not you're not uh, you don't have the energy to stay alive for us. We only have one parent, and it's you. And they get very angry, and they haven't read the book, and so they get harsh with me. So uh, uh, one of my son. Uh, was getting harsh with me, and I said, you know, you don't help me with the nastiness and the harshness. If you want to do something, uh, call me up and tell me you love me, but the harshness doesn't help. And um, I, I thought that I, I was giving him a, a positive way to be in my life, but at the same time, I thought I shouldn't be involving him in my addiction. But anyway, he has done that, and it has helped, and it has worked, and has made our relationship better. My daughter hasn't been able to do that. And so uh, on that side of the fence, I have to remember that it, it's not my daughter's problem. It's my addiction uh, that has caused her pain. And and so uh, I'm going to have to remember to be as kind to her as I can and just uh, try to stay, uh, to stay in recovery, and that's the best I can do for her. And... Uh, not to take her uh, her harshness personally or her withdrawal personally because uh, I have to remember that I've put her through a lot of pain. And so if I stay on my recovery path, I'll have to let, uh, let God take care of her too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So the program is miraculous but not magical. It takes action, and it took action for the wives as well as for us as recovering compulsive overeaters. So thank you. We'll close here. Thank you to everyone who has shared. Thank you to all the readers and the people who commented today. We will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Penny C., could you read that for us? Yes, good morning. Still Penny C., recovered compulsive overreader, feeling so fortified after this meeting. Thank you. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.